and welcome to part four of the 007 Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today on the show, we bid adieu to the Roger Moore era with our review of 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. But first, how are you guys? I'm doing all right, Scott. Um, I was at a family dinner last night uh, where the topic of Bond came up and people started talking about who their favorite Bonds were. And I was like, great, I can contribute to this conversation at least a little bit. Um, so always happy when things kind of link up like that. Well, what, what, what were, don't leave us in the dark. What were people's thoughts? Uh, most people were big fans of Sean Connery uh, and, you know, quoted or named him as their favorite Bond. There was one person who was very insistent that Roger Moore was uh, right up there with him. He has his defenders. He does. Even though, you know, there are a lot of people out there just sort of hate a lot of the movies that he's in. He does have his fans uh, in the character of Bond. Seems like it. But yeah, it was nice to be able to contribute to that. Blasphemy that none of them said Daniel Craig. Honestly, blasphemy. Bunch of boomers. Well, recency bias. Yeah. Recency bias would be that Craig would be the best Bond. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Lack of recency bias. Yes, I guess. Uh, but Craig is also very good. I mean, there's there's no denying that. But um, yeah, I think it works both ways is what I'm saying to, to your point about, yeah, maybe, um, you know, these folks, I, I don't know, I don't want to speculate as to the age of Jay's family members. But uh, anyway, Scott, how are you? <laughs> I was good until I heard that no one thought Daniel Craig was the best Bond. Uh, now I'm worse, but we, we, we all move on with our lives. No, I'm joking. I, I'm doing well. I wasn't sure what to expect after our, you know, last week when we watched uh, Live and Let Die and our thoughts on that film being a bit out there, I'd say, in the grand scheme of things, what to expect from, you know, another Roger Moore Bond movie. But, uh, you know, I, I won't spoil my thoughts, but I will say different. It is different than the last Bond movie that we watched. That's for sure. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm excited to talk about it. Excited, as always, um, to, you know, be alive yet again. I guess the big update since, you know, the since last week's episode is that I am know that I'm moving in as of time of recording exactly in exactly about a month. So that's exciting. Um, so getting things in order for that will be uh, pretty much all I'm doing for the next month. Tell them where Scott. Well, I think everyone knows that the, if they listen to the podcast that I'm moving to New York city for my new job, but maybe not. But yes, since I started my new job working at NBC universal, I am moving to New York. Tell them who else yeah, lives we'll... in New York, Scott. Uh, plenty of people, my coworkers, etc. You know, it's a good place. How exciting for you. Yeah, we countdown will the countdown series will now be a New York based podcast, I guess. Uh, two two thirds uh, New York, two thirds of, of the hosts. Yeah. yeah, but Jay and I will have but, watch parties together. I'm so yeah, excited. It it is interesting, Scott. You know, you bring up that your feelings are different, um, and I do feel that this film is different in spirit than Live and Let Die to some extent. Um, yeah. But it is interesting, you know, just sort of transitioning us to the movie now that this movie um, is kind of the last. Um, quote-unquote serious Roger Moore film before it really slides into just sort of crazy out there movies like Moonraker, which is the next film, um, Octopussy and A View to a Kill, which are just like almost self-parody. Um, so it, it, it is funny that, you know, they did seem to take a little bit of a sharp left um, from The Spy Who Loved Me after this film. But uh, as mentioned there, our film today is 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. Directed by Lewis Gilbert, The Spy Who Loved Me is Roger Moore's third outing as James Bond, and it fi- finds the super spy investigating the disappearance of British and Soviet submarines. His quest soon leaves it, leads him to a coveted microfilm containing plans for an advanced submarine tracking system, 
and a KGB agent called Triple X, played by Barbara Bach, who becomes a rival and later a colleague for Bond. Bond and Triple X are soon hot on the trail of megalomaniacal shipping magnate Carl Stromberg, played by Kurt Jurgens, who plans to use the microfilm to set off nuclear war. But if Bond and Triple X are to stop him, they'll have to overcome the menacing figure of Jaws, a metal-mouthed assassin played by Richard Keel, who tracks the duo from Egypt to Sardinia and beyond. Jay, we'll start with you. Is The Spy Who Loved Me a step up from the relentless camp of Live and Let Die, or do the film's cheesy elements still stand in its way of being a satisfying action spectacle? So can I count this as a shark movie for my featured presentation challenge? <laughs> Um, I mean, I won't. I won't. Do, I have to watch you, Jaws, yeah. and I'm gonna watch you Jaws. Need, yeah, you do need to watch Jaws, and not. I don't mean Richard Keel as Jaws. I mean the movie Jaws. <laughs> I got you. Um, this to, to me was a definite step up. Um, I mean, I was I was very low on Live and Let Die, as you know, y'all will remember. Um, and I, I won't say this was like, you know, not to give too much away about like you know relative rankings. Like to me, this wasn't nearly as good as Goldfinger, but this was a definite step up. Um, you know, I, I, there were a lot of scenes that in this that I feel like I'm actually going to remember a few weeks from now and like particularly enjoyed while I was watching. I thought the pacing of this was better. I liked the action a lot in this one. And yeah, I don't know. Some of the things that I remember came up last week, including, you know, some of the, the campiness of uh, Roger Moore's Bond in terms of like the one-liners and whatnot, like, you know, still like kind of worked for me in this one. Um, there was a lot of like music musical elements that kind of added to that and like again I, I was totally there for it um yeah i mean a, a definite step in the right direction uh, at least you know as far as like the movie and you know J uh, roger moore as bond yeah i agree i think this film takes itself uh in its subject matter like a, a little bit more seriously i mean to your point about the camp i feel like there's a lot less of that i think there's still some for sure i think there's definitely still some camp elements but it's done tastefully or sparsely enough where it doesn't feel like the movie is just I don't know parodying itself almost which it sounds like future more films kind of sink into at some point which is kind of a weird thing to think about but yeah I, I I am in the same boat here as Jay as I think that I found this film quite enjoyable I think um I, I found it almost kind of refreshing at times how in, engaged I was uh I, I mean we've talked at length already I think in the first three episodes about how some of the Bond movies can really, for a stretch, get kind of boring. And I think that's been true in, in parts. And I think that there are moments in this that that do sink a little bit into that. But there's like a lot of really like cool, maybe a little campy, but like interestingly staged elements of the film and plenty of entertaining action sequences as, as well, which I think, frankly, Live and Let Die sort of under under delivered on. Uh, there were some action scenes that were worthwhile in that but like almost zaniness involved with the action sequences rather than like a serious action set piece. I mean, thinking about, you know, the, the crocodile, <laughs> the way that that showdown ends and this, the speedboat chase is just kind of like, I don't know, it, it, the parts that are good about that are also just like kind of silly. Um, so it, it was kind of refreshing to see things like the ski scene uh, to start out all the way to, you know, you, you know, Atlantis at the end, right? Like those feel like well-staged scenes and are, and are interesting and engaging in a way that, uh, certainly, live. I didn't find live and let die. Although, um, but it, although it certainly had its merits, as we talked about on on the last episode. So overall, I think I'm I'm pretty positive on this. Uh, I think there are a couple things that hold this movie back, but it's not its camp that holds its movie this movie back. It's it's a few uh, different departments, in, in my opinion. But look, overall, I'm positive, and I think like 
in, in the grand scheme of things of the non Craig Bond movies, I think this is pretty high up there. Yeah, no, I, I think I've been pretty, you know, vocal on our previous episodes that um, yeah, I quite enjoyed this movie. It was one of the ones that I have one of the few Bond movies that I've actually had seen a few times going into this. Um, I owned the VHS tape back in the day and, and watched it a few times. Um, but it had been a few years for sure since I've seen it. And, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to say that it definitely holds up, I think. It's a close call between which film I enjoyed between this and Goldfinger more of what we've you know talked about. But I, I may honestly give it to this movie just because I think the balance of yeah the the campiness and you know the more serious action you know of Sean of the Sean Connery movies that we watched um, I think is it's much more well balanced here than in mm -hmm. Live and Let Die. Though again, I I enjoyed Live and Let Die on some tongue in cheek level. I think this sure. stands you know on its merits as a very solid action movie. Um, it maybe has a lull or two here and there, but I think, uh, you know, it starts out really strong with a, you know, great set piece. You know, looking back at this movie, I, uh, you know, there were two or three scenes that I specifically remember, and that skiing scene is definitely one. Uh, that um, is is one of the, the best opening stunts in, in any Bond movie, for sure. Um, you know, with Bond skiing off of the mountain and the Union Jack parachute. Um, you know, him pulling it there. Um, yeah, it, it, it's pretty exciting and uh, only only has a couple of moments of like green screen where it's like close up on him skiing. And it's like, OK, what exactly am I looking at here? But um, yeah, it's the plot. OK, the plot. I mean, you can follow it more or less, I feel like, from beginning to end, which is, you know, something that I think has been a little bit more difficult in the past movies. Now, you know, maybe it's not the most original action movie plot ever or you know maybe it is a little bit ridiculous what um you know what carl stromberg is trying to do but um it just feels like a victory that we sort of know exactly what everyone is trying to do for most of the movie um, well you certainly don't know why people are trying to do it though because someone's going to need to explain to me what any of the motivations are for any of these things yeah, well, it's it's the MacGuffin-y nature of it, though, right? That, like, we got to go to this place and get the microfilm thing. Like, that's what is driving a lot of the, the plot. And that, um, no, I'm not saying that that answers your question. I'm I was going to say, yeah, but it doesn't really feel like that's a response to my question, but fair, fair enough. No, it's not. I wasn't attempting to answer your question right now. I'm saying that's yeah. what makes it a little bit easier to follow. It's like, oh, yeah, right. They're going to the place and, and to get the thing. Yeah, yeah maybe there's like, another side of that, like, okay, well, wait a minute. Why are they getting this thing? But... Yeah, I think the movie the movie moves quickly enough to where you don't necessarily have to stop and think about those things, which is what you want in these types of movies anyway, at least for me. Um, yeah, I think the one yeah, exception I, is like when they're in whatever the big tanker is, where like you have the this idea they're trying to like break into the steel operation room or whatever. And I think it slows down enough there for where I started to think about why are we doing this anyway? <laughs> but other than I that, mean, I, yeah. I agree it moves along. There's always going to be those moments in Bond films, I think. Uh, I think that's, sure. you know, yeah. as much of a hallmark is of the series um, as, yeah. you know, the opening credits or whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm not saying that is either a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of, yeah. you know, something that's there. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a very fun movie. Like, again, I, I didn't really I, I didn't have I wasn't super bored really at any stretch of the movie, I think. You know, the Bond girl here, Triple uh, X, is still a tad week at least where her character goes in the back half of the movie um but i think they uh they like have some will they or won't they like they you know they, they stretch it out longer than usual on like the will they or won't 
won't they? Um, you know, spectrum. Whereas normally it's like, you know, they, they meet the Bond girl and they're either throwing themselves at Bond immediately or it's like there's the first scene they're like, oh, you know, I'll never you're disgusting, you're chauvinist, whatever. And then, then literally the next scene, they're, you know, fa falling into his arms. Here, there's a little bit more, you know, back and forth. Um, and of course, you know, she is a secret agent. She gets to have a couple moments of like um, showing off her intelligence. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's certainly no um, progressive step forward for the franchise, but we'll get there in a moment. I, you know, on the whole, I really enjoy this movie. Um, I think if there's one Roger Moore Bond movie to watch, if you can only watch one, this is the one to watch. Um, it has sort of all of the Bond hallmarks. And, you know, it, it has some of the best examples of, you know, all of the classic elements that you would find in a Bond movie with, you know, the action pieces, the Bond girl, you know, the villain, the colorful villain, the uh, theme song, all of that, I think, is, you know, some of the strongest that you'll find in any Bond movie are they're, they're in this movie. But uh, let's move on to talk about Roger Moore as Bond. Um, you know, I think last time you guys maybe felt a little bit indifferent on um, his, you know, performance as as Bond following up from Sean Connery in the first two movies that we watched. Um, did you see any sort of positive improvement here or was it kind of more of the same? Scott? I did see improvement. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, I think what I talked about last week was this notion that on the surface, Roger Moore does seem to check the boxes for the you know, for the Bond archetype, the what you want in terms of suave British man, steely attitude, you know, smooth with the ladies. I think he had that on the surface, but I just didn't think that he, like the movie allowed him to deliver on that very well. And I think with this one, you know, for reasons, you know, that I'm sure we'll expound on at length for the next 45 minutes or whatever, I think he does deliver on that better. I think that you do get some of the, you know, more meaningful set pieces where he can show that not only does he have this on the surface, like I think was clear in Live and Let Die, he actually can deliver on this when he has the chance to do something more meaningful than, you know, boat around this island in the Caribbean and um, or wherever it was and, you know, smooth talk this, you know, eccentric, you know, tarot card reading person, right? Like he does, he has a lot more interesting things to do here. And, I'll, and I think that it's sort of relegating the romantic element of, his and triple X's relationship in terms of the plot, right? Like it's still there as much as it is in any movie, but it being relegated in the plot to something a little bit more secondary, uh, unlike the last movie where his romance with the woman's name who I can't even remember already, solitaire. but that's actually a memorable name. I really shouldn't remember that. Um, solitaire was like a critical part of the film, right? Which just made you roll your eyes even more. But the fact that it's relegated here, makes it feel like it's given the appropriate weight and the appropriate weight in the performance too. So I, I think that he was able to show those action chops a little bit better that you need to expect from Bond still shows sort of the suaveness and you, you get the sprinkle of, you know, over exaggerated, I don't know, animal magnetism <laughs> of the character. But yeah, like I, I think it is a big step up for Roger Moore. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in his performance is, when he goes to see visit Carl Stromberg there for like the first time and they're there by the fish tank. And there's that moment where Carl like quizzes him on what that fish is in the fish tank. <laughs> yeah. And he just like pauses and it's like, he freaks out for a second and you're like, Oh crap. He doesn't know. Like he's about he's to get not a marine found biologist. out here. And then he just like answers it so easy, casually and easily. It's like, wait a minute. Why did you, why would, why was there this weird moment of like you having to stop and be like, Oh my God, 
when it's very clear that you probably knew the, the answer the entire time, but that was kind of, you know, he was pulling a Bateman but, Scott or maybe, or maybe uh, he was just entering his mind palace. He was, but yeah, that doesn't seem like that would be a scenario where you would want to uh, give off the impression that you don't know the answer um, for, for even a second. Um, yeah. But Jay, what are your thoughts on Roger Moore's performance here? Yeah, like I said, I think, you know, a step in the right direction, but I think I have a, it, it, it like kind of just clicked in the last couple of minutes hearing you guys talk about him. And I think I'll, I'm going to try to find the words. I think I like the action chops he displays in this movie, but I think I like it outside of all of his interactions with the Bond girl, uh, Barbara Bach. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, again, maybe I'm just like comparing him to Sean Connery in my mind. I think that's where that's coming from. I, I just don't feel that same, like, suave charisma coming from him. Like, I just don't buy it. And like, you know, even though, like I, I've said, you know, his like one-liners, I don't necessarily mind them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't buy into it at all. Like, but when he you know, again, is like trying to uh, free, you know, the, the hostages in the submarine and he's like, you know, disarming the bomb. Like, you know, like I, I like feel it in those moments and I'm like, all right, like, you know, this is like, you know, James Bond, you know, like I, I'm, I'm with it there. And, you know, I, I think about the one scene of his with Triple uh, X where he's telling her that he killed her lover and I'm like, okay, and, you know, he's give that little spiel on, you know, when someone's like trying to kill you from like 40 feet away, you know, like you don't have time to get his face. Like it was him or me. And I'm like, yes. Like, you know, in when you're not trying to be like, I don't know, this just like, you know, super suave debonair guy. Like I buy it. Like you're this like action star. And like, I see it. I still just like really can't buy into, you know, his like supposed animal magnetism. It, that's just not there for me. And because like you guys said, it's not as much of a focal point of this movie. I feel like I was able to enjoy it a lot more because um, I did just get to see him as like action star again. You know, him kind of going back at the end uh, to save uh, Agent Triple X, you know, before the Atlantis was blown up. Like, you know, it was like, I, mean, I was with all that, you know, I just wasn't still not on board really with, you know, him as like a ladies man. Yeah, no, I think to speak to Jay's point, I, you know, to, if, if I had to put my finger on one thing that holds him back from Connery a little bit, it's just not quite as effortless, I feel like, for Roger Moore as it was for Connery to do all of these things you're talking about, to be this suave guy. And the result, I think, is that sometimes when he's doing these one-liners, right, which there are a lot of them in this movie, um, there are quite a lot. It's, it's about 30% of his dialogue, at least. Um, he just comes off as like tired a little bit sometimes when he's like doing these, these one-liners. Um, he, he doesn't seem to have like the, uh, and I think it's his attempt, right? Like to my point, I think it's his attempt to try and, you know, come off as effortless. Like, you know, he just has these little witticisms, um, you know, right there ready to go. And that's just part of his smooth charm or whatever, but he just, he sounds a little bored at times when he's delivering those um, one-liners. And I think that's a product of him not quite knowing how to hit that, same note that Sean Connery was able to hit, but I still think he's a, he's a good bond. Like, I don't really think that any of the actors that have been chosen to play bond thus far, and I haven't seen Timothy Dalton. We're going to actually discuss him next time out. Um, but of, of the others, I don't think any of them were badly suited to the character at all. Uh, I think it's just more about the movies around them. And maybe that's why, you know, some people 
you know, aren't as big of a fan of Moore because there are a lot of movies that he was in and only a couple of them are actually that good. Um, but, you know, I guess it just depends on what you want to get out of, you know, a James Bond movie. And if you want the cheesiness that I think, you know, I think I think Roger Moore delivers on that. I just yeah, I, if you're if you're try, if you're looking for like the poster image of of James Bond, right, that you want to, you know, put up on your wall or whatever as a teenager, like, hey, here's, you know, the cool, sophisticated secret agent guy. Um, I don't think you're going to put Roger Moore. Like, I think he's going to be, you know, pretty close to the bottom of the list of Bonds that you would, you know, put up on your wall for that purpose, which is fine. Um, it's just, you know, something different, I guess. Um, okay, let's talk about the uh, Bond girl now, because you know, she does have probably a larger role than, you know, any of the Bond girls that we've seen so far, at least in the action, you would say. Um, and that is Triple X uh, or Anya Am Amasova, I believe is her name. She's played by uh, Barbara Bach here as KGB agent to, you know, like I said, she and Bond kind of have a rivalry at first. There's a little bit of, you know, tension between them, uh, but eventually they have to learn to work together. And, you know, inevitably, you know, that the romance is going to develop. Um, but, you know, you might be point to this movie and say, hey, here's a little bit of a step forward, right? Here's, you know, uh, a Bond girl who is given a more forthright role in the action. Uh, Jay, do you feel that way? Or do you feel that this character kind of goes by the wayside of all other Bond girls by the end? I think in the first half, right, like, you know, she's given a little bit of a step forward again, like she's given a chance to like go toe to toe him with him a bit. I mean, even later on in the movie, she does get the opportunity to like showcase some of her like smarts in terms of like knowing where Stromberg's uh, lab is and like, you know, knowing things about, I, I think they were looking at the model of a boat or something. And she mentioned it was like the largest, um, you know, like, again, like she gets steps in the right direction. And, you know, again, it's, it's the kind of plot that's set up to me, like, it just is inherently more exciting, right? That, like, she's about to be put on a mission, counter this guy that killed her lover, and she doesn't know it. Um, but, you know, it, and, like, you know, this this might be the formula, like, maybe starting to weigh, uh, you know, wear on me a little bit. Like, the, in my mind, like, you know, you said the will they, won't they is dragged out. Like, in my mind, there was never a doubt that, like, there was just going to be some, like, switch flipping sure, at the end but, where, you know, he but, just they just end up together yeah. and... If anything, like I thought this this particular ending of him, like with the Bond girl, was probably my least favorite. Where like they're coming in, uh, in like the escape chamber and looking up at their bosses, and he makes that joke about keeping up the British way, and it was, I don't know, that was a lot for me. Well, yeah, I, I will say about that moment, I uh, you know, there's this big moment right where like he says, James, what are you doing? And you, if there's, you know, there's those one or two seconds, you're like, oh, here, here we go. This is going to be, you know, the big line to like finish out the film. He's got one more in him. And it's a little bit of a disappointment. I feel like when the line actually comes, it's not one of his better, you know, quips probably to be found in the movie. So that was kind of amusing to me that they, uh, you know, they really build that one up and then it doesn't quite deliver. But uh, yeah, you know, them there in the throes at the end after she, you know, I because, you know, the added element to this is, that, that I haven't mentioned, right, is that at the beginning of the movie, uh, in the skiing set piece, and this is something a little bit different as well, right, because the set pieces that we see at the beginning of the movies often do, times do not have anything to do with the plot that then happens uh, for the substance of the movie. Well, here, you know, uh, another KGB agent who happened to be Triple uh, X's lover is killed by Bond in this scene, and, you know, she 
eventually figures that out and is like, I'm going to kill you after this is all over, Bond. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's to Jay's point, it's supposed to like, in theory, it's supposed to create some kind of tension, but like, we know that it's not actually going to happen. You know, it leads to a very campy moment of her shooting the cork off of a champagne bottle at the very end. Um, but there was, there was a lot of weird gun sh gunshots in this movie. Uh, just as a side note, there was that one. There's when Bond, I guess, like, it's hard to figure out what happened, but it seems like he shoots Jaws in the mouth at one point, and the bullet just kind of, like, ricochets off mm -hmm. of him. Um, the, the, the gunplay was not one of the better shot elements of the action here, but... He was holding the right. gun better than we've seen a Bond holding the gun. Yeah. Like the movie. That was actually one point that partner like and i explicitly called out while watching like he's holding the gun like you know with his arm extended at like shoulder like close to shoulder height like okay he's holding the gun correctly this time um but the uh yeah you're right the the the, the actual action itself like some of there were some weird gunshots kind of like you said but i just you know quickly to, i guess wrap up my thoughts on barbara bach like again the character you know is like inherently more interesting than you know a couple of the bond girls we've seen again you think back to from russia with love we're like we have like another Russian agent, like opposite Bond, but like that one again, you know, very quickly, like seems to fall for him. You know, this one had more potential. I didn't particularly care for her performance, but I did like that, you know, at least the character had, you know, a, a little bit more, you know, to her, even if, you know, we, I kind of figured it wasn't going to amount to anything in the end. Like, you know, they yeah. all fall for Bond. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I think that that at, we're we're certainly not yet at the point of the franchise where there is actually going to be genuine suspense about whether they, um, you know, are gonna whether the Bond girl is gonna get with James Bond. But you know, I think they at least try to manufacture a little bit more suspense than usual here. Um, it's not, you know, like where, where they're barely even trying. Like I said, and once from one scene to the next like the girl's perspective completely shifts that's that doesn't quite happen here and in fact there's one moment right where she like the first kiss that they share actually turns out to be like a tool used by her to like you know get the microfilm back from him or whatever um and uh so that was kind of a nice like turning on your turning turning it on his head uh, of like, where, yo, this is where this is the point where you would normally expect, oh, the Bond girl is not going to be won by James's charm, right? They're in the boat, they're cuddling up with each other, and she's like, nope, actually, I'm still, you know, a double agent or whatever for now. Um, Scott, your thoughts on Barbara Bach? Yeah, <clears throat> I, I wish I could have felt some of the tension that they tried to manufacture this because I, I agree that they're trying to do something more, but yeah. I guess I maybe even more so than Jay here. I just don't, I don't feel it. It doesn't translate to anything on the screen and forget whether like with the will they won't they of getting together put that aside um like i i just didn't feel the tension of like will she won't she actually you know do something to threaten bond's life because there's plenty of ways that they can stage this you know these sort of final scenes where she does try to get back at him but like he escapes and then they kind of just go their separate ways there right like there's ways to to manufacture that in a way that doesn't end up you know, in the in the Bond trope cliche area, but of course they do. And again, not surprising, but I just wish they could have gotten or milked any tension at all out of that situation because it's not it's not a, it's not bad staging. It's it's a pretty good setup overall, but I just don't feel like they follow through in any meaningful way, even in spite of, like you said, Scott, sort of like the early showdown between the two of them or the early moment where they are, you know, making out on the boat on the way back to Cairo uh, was disappointing. And again, sort of going off a point that Jay made as well, like this character is 
you know, again, trying to be maybe a better model for a Bond for a Bond girl than past movies. But the performance from Barbara Bach, not, you know, him, you know, UJ not quite being a fan of it. I think the performance is like, frankly, terrible. Like, I think she's really bad um, in this movie. I think easily one of the worst performances we've seen in the Bond franchise of the movies that we've seen that we've watched so far. Um, you know, it, at least something like JW or whoever that like Louisiana Hick was in the last movie. Uh, like at least that was like at least marginally okay, funny. Okay, let's let's not get let's not get carried away here and say that this she's worse than JW Pepper. The actual performance is worse is worse than what that guy gave. Like that character is is a caricature and one and maybe like the worst version of a character. But in terms of performance, like she's she's really bad. Like I'm not even sure she had a pulse when she was filming this movie like she looked completely dead behind the eyes to me but um i, I think it is Good like Lord. a, a I, I hope her estate is not listening to actually i think she's i hope that her right. estate so I hope is she's not listening i hope that she is listening to this i mean there's a reason why she didn't have a career besides this movie like she didn't she didn't yeah she didn't act in anything else. after like 1985 yeah i mean look she, she it's not a good performance which is a real bummer because i think that it did have potential it was really held back by just again like how dead i thought the performance was how flat it was uh which is a huge disappointment yeah, um, look, I don't think she's she's certainly no Catherine Hepburn, that's for sure. But um, you know, I, I don't come to a Bond movie looking for a you know an Academy Award winning performance usually from the Bond girl. But um, neither do I, I. But I certainly hope for more than what Barbara Bach gave us. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not I'm not arguing with you uh, that it's not a great performance. I just yeah. think it 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 didn't take as much as much away from the character, I guess, as it did for for me, as it did for you. I still well, think- I think for I think for the part of the frustration though goes back to what I was talking about, like not feeling that tension. I feel like part of that is because the performance is so flat emotionally. Um, yeah. Like, I don't feel like she's actually sad about, you know, her lover being killed on top of this mountain. Like, I don't feel like I don't get that she has any feelings for Bond, which is like probably a good thing overall. But like, I don't I don't get that she has any feelings whatsoever. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I never get that in any of these, to be honest with you. Again, the transformations of these Bond girls are frankly ridiculous at times, how how quickly they go from zero to sure. 60 in their feelings about Bond. But yeah, I, I don't but know. That's I, a characterization I, 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 less than a performance, though. Well, me. right. And that was going to be my point that I was going to make is maybe it's just that I think the character is slightly more interesting here and that, you know. Sure. Drag drags the performance out of the doldrums to some extent. But yeah, again, I think there's a couple moments where she's allowed to have a little bit of agency here. Like um, there are like their first meeting in that club. Um, they have a nice little back and forth where they're like, but clearly are both like well-researched about each other um, and their history and stuff. And we get a interesting little uh, reference to on her majesty's secret service, which is where Bond actually gets married and his wife, is killed um that was sort of what, what explains that one little moment where she's like about to bring that up and he like cuts her off and is like that that's enough that was supposed to be a reference to that but um but you know there there's that and so you're kind of showing that hey she's on level playing field with bond right in terms of their what they know and then later on to the scene where i actually quite like the scene in like the underground like pyramid layer that mi6 and i guess the kgb are sharing they just have like the basically their headquarters and like some like some sort of pyramid thing in egypt which is kind of random but cool um and there's a you know again they're both sort of having their moments to show off their like intelligence again and, and she actually corrects him on, on at one point on like where the location of this island or what boat or whatever it is that the submarine whatever it is that they're looking for at that particular time she says oh it's in sardinia it's not in i think maybe corsica is where bond says it is but yeah um 
So, you know, again, it's these aren't uh, titanic victories for for women, but, um, you know, it, it does feel like a slight step forward from what we have seen in the, in the past. Um, but by the end, you know, to, it does take a disappointing turn, right? She does become a damsel by the end. She does have to be rescued by Bond at the end. And she does just sort of, you know, forget about in the in a matter of minutes, sort of just forget about and go her, back on her promise to. Um, you know, to kill him, uh, you know, at the end of the mission, she's like, no, no, actually, not only am I not going to kill you, but I'm going to have sex with you right now. Uh, <laughs> which great. Okay, sure. Fine. That's just how Bond movies end, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's, you know, it, it, again, it, I, I think there are some positives to take away about this character. Uh, but are there positives to take away about the villains in this movie? Um, I've mentioned Carl Stromberg, right, played by Kurt Jurgens. Um as this, you know, shipping magnate, sort of, again, megalomaniacal businessman who we've even seen, you know, kind of in the three Bond movies that we've watched so far, to some extent, um, this type of character, maybe. But then we have Jaws, right, who is sort of the um, crazy henchman character of this movie. And, um, you know, one of the more iconic examples of that in the Bond franchise. Actually, you know, we're not going to be watching Moonraker. So, I'll, you know, I can just go ahead and say, you know, Jaws does appear in Moonraker as well. Um, the next movie in the series, which is actually probably my least favorite of any of the Bond movies that I've seen. Um, that movie is awful. And they try to make Jaws a good guy and they give him a girlfriend movie too it's just it's so ill-advised um but anyway what did you guys think about uh carl stromberg here who was you know the big bad and jaws who was sort of the scenery chewing physical threat to uh james and uh triple x here scott yeah for for me i i found hit i guess i guess i'll start i'll go in order um for stromberg for me is kind of almost back it seems like we're backtracking a little bit to sort of the boring you know evil man evil recluse doing evil things for some reason that is completely unclear and frankly i probably won't remember this villain's name by the time we finish this series up i think it's pretty forgettable not super interesting although i think the world around him is super is really interesting. like the whole notion of this underwater cities that that he's building with atlantis and whatnot i think that's really cool but unfortunately, he himself, not a super interesting guy, not given much to work with. Um, Kurt Jurgens, that that is in terms of an act, in terms of an acting job, he's going to sit in a chair and I guess twirl his you know his evil mustache and um, you know enact his plots. Uh, so pretty forgettable in that department. Like at least with Goldfinger, right? Like Goldfinger is a pretty interesting guy, even though he, he characterization wise he might be quite similar. I mean, obviously his motivation. He gets some good is, lines too. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like I just think Stromberg is like pretty much the if you if we put together like all of the boring and forgettable traits of Bond villains, I think like Stromberg like probably fits most or not all of them. But it is made up for when you have someone like Richard Keel playing a character like Jaws, right? Like you kind of want I mean, you get quite a bit of him on screen, but he is the odd job to draw another Goldfinger um, comparison. Although I'd say you even get maybe even more out of Jaws than you did out of odd job. Although I guess it's similar paths ultimately for for the two of them, except, you know, the latter uh, in terms of. Kurt, or sorry, uh, Jaws survives. And so, yeah, I enjoyed Jaws. I think it's, uh, you know, super interesting out there type of character that you want from your sort of like Bond henchmen or Bond villains. We've talked about that, you know, week after week already, it feels like um, to varying degrees of success. And I feel like in many ways, you know, Jaws is the epitome of what we've seen of that so far, even more so than Odd Job, because I think, again, you get a little bit more from Jaws 
here and you do even more outlandish things than throwing your hat at a stone statue with jaws like you were saying earlier like it's crazy like bouncing a bullet off his teeth i just think that's hilarious right like it's yeah. so funny um yeah and look i mean look bringing characters back is not something that they do often in the james bond franchise yeah. so you know that he was you know uh, well received and popular yeah. and well liked as a villain because they brought him back for the next movie, even if it was to, you know, go all Terminator 2 with him and turn him into a good guy all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Jaws is a big positive, but I found Stromberg to be a pretty big negative overall as well. So mixed bag, but some good, some bad. Jay, do you agree? I think so. Um, almost across the board, if not entirely. Uh, yeah, Jaws, I'll just go reverse order just to touch on Jaws first. Uh, yeah, he, big positive for me. Yeah, you mentioned already the, you know, bounce uh, the bullet bouncing off his teeth. He also ends up like surviving fighting a shark and being on like the ship when it gets blown up. Like I, I like noticed that too. And I'm glad you, uh, you know, gave me at least a little bit uh, on what happens to him. Like he does come back, I, you know, albeit it sounds like in a disappointing way, but yeah, I noticed that. I was like, I did he, is he the first like villain to survive um, the end of his movie? And yeah, I guess he was. And, you know, I, I would have been excited by the possibility and yeah, he, you know, is he's going to be the part that I remember about this movie uh, in terms of villains. Again, Stromberg, you know, I don't necessarily mind the like archetype of the, you know, evil guy in the chair. Like I actually kind of enjoyed, you know, him killing off uh, versus like lover. And then those two scientists, uh, you know, again, like, you know, evil guy in a chair. Like I didn't really mind that, you know, especially because, you know, like the, the screens come up, the, you know, Requiem starts playing and then the helicopter blows up and he's like, you know, tell his, their family or his next of kin that he died in a oh, helicopter yeah, that, accident. The funeral was at sea. I was going <laughs> to say, this is one good line. The funeral was at sea. Yeah. So like, you know, he That's got off one. to a good start, even though, you know, he was a little bit like archetypal, but you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Scott that, you know, Jaws for the reasons I've just mentioned, you know, is going to be the, the part of this that I remember. Can anyone um, explain to me why he wanted to create these cities at the bottom of the sea and blow up the known world? So that he, I mean, I guess so that he would be like the leader of the world now. Yeah, that, that, that was wouldn't, basically... wouldn't it make more sense if he was just being like an eco-terrorist or something like that? I don't know. It was too early for that. Where people, I mean, actually, if I, you're I, trying, I if you're looking for stuff, if you're looking for stuff that makes sense, you've come to the wrong franchise. But um, I think that's yeah, a vast no, oversimplification. But fair enough. I kind of agree. Uh, sure, sure it is. Um, I, I kind of agree with what we're saying here. Um, that yeah, I, you know, and I think it's like natural, right? That that Jaws, um, you know, he's such a larger than life character that any other villain is going to seem sort of. Um, quite literally larger than life character. yeah yeah any villain is going to kind of pale in comparison but yeah i also don't think stromberg is really anything all that interesting the sort of like marine biologist setup they don't really do quite enough with that for my liking i feel like to um you know to to make the most of that it's yeah yeah i mean it's just it's just not that memorable but, but jaws certainly is and i really like the way that jaws like so like he has the metal teeth, obviously, and those are used sort of as a weapon a lot of times throughout the movie. Uh, but then in the end, uh, Bond ends up sort of using that to his advantage. Right. Um, and he's dragging him by his metal teeth using like this crane thing or whatever and dropping him into the shark. Uh, a lot of fun. You know, pit. yeah, it's it's great. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's cool again how Bond is resourceful and, you know, uses the, that weapon sort of against Jaws there to 
defeat him when yeah you know he's he really can't be defeated um but yeah so i mean jaws is, is a great character and one of the best parts of this movie for me at, at least you know very very memorable i love i love the uh the car chase sequence when he just like rips the car apart and like then afterwards when they're just like going through the desert and the, the, the car is just like uh, you know beat to hell basically and like it, it look, it's like a, it's like a National Lampoon's Vacation movie or something with them driving around in this thing. And then, yeah, it breaks down. But also Bond, um, talk about Bond being cool under pressure in that situation. He's just like making fun of her trying to start the car while Josh yeah, is ripping women the drivers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. Well, he, he like he like offends so many people in like that two minute stretch because right before that is when he when like he brings down the thing on Jaws heads and he goes Egyptian builders. <laughs> It's just like he's like, how many groups of people can I just defend here in this, you know? But back before things were politically correct, you know, you could just get away with all that, I guess. But there you go, uh, for better or for worse. Um, okay, let's talk about the other elements of the Bond formula that are sort of on display here. And of course, I want to talk about. I think I've decided it it might be my favorite Bond song. Uh, Carly Simon singing "Nobody Does It Better" um, over the opening credits here. Um, there's just something so satisfying about like, again, that, that, um, you know, opening action sequence, he parachutes into the, um, you know, off the cliff, the parachute comes out and then, you know, we get like a nice little wipe to the, the, um, opening credit sequence and the song kicking in. It's like, yeah, like I said, it's, it's satisfying. The song is a banger. Um, and the music throughout, I think Marvin Hamlish, uh, did the score here um and got a lot of praise for it at the time um and yeah it has a great sort of like fast like up tempo like disco-y like disco, synth yeah. um feel to it uh that I, I really uh dug like you know even like in some of the action sequences like when they're in the the tanker like at the end and the big battle scene is breaking out it like it adds like a fun element to it right when you have like this um you know, fast-paced disco music going in the in the background, which I found, the, again, the right amount of campiness. Um, I felt like that that music added. But what did you guys think about the the music in this movie? I look, it, the song is great. I think that we talked about last time how you know Paul McCartney's version uh, of a Bond intro was sort of knockout for us. We all really liked it. It was nominated for an Academy Award. I believe this one was as well. It's one of the what handful of Bond intro songs that have i feel like we are strongly over and maybe this is actually how scott chose all the bond movies we watch is just the over indexing on the ones with but with good uh intro songs i think that might be that might be the well, secret we're watching license to kill instead of living daylights and living daylights is the one that has the the good song by aha i don't even remember mm -hmm. what the license to kill what the song has but. yeah that's fair so next week where my whole logic of theory of how we selected these movies is going to come undone but but so far i feel like we've watched you know we watched the sort of the original one then, you know, Goldfinger, Live and Let Die, and then this one, and all, frankly, really good song, intro songs, and this is no different. I think it's a toss-up for me between this and Live and Let Die so far of the ones, but it's up there. And I know that if we were watching all of the Bond movies, you know, this and last week's would be near the top, probably, overall in the Bond franchise. So really good overall, enjoyed it. I agree that the disco score, I'm glad you you sort of brought that up as well, because that was one of the things that I thought more so than any other Bond movie, just like the, the score really kept me engaged in a way that, at least in a way that other Bond movies hadn't in the past. And so I really appreciated it for that. It was a lot of fun. It was good vibes. 
um, to sort of go along with what was happening on screen. And it definitely boosted my or elevated my thoughts on the film overall, frankly. Jay, do you agree? Wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, in terms of opening songs, this is also a toss up between Live and Let Die. And I referenced this earlier, like I do think, you know, that the kind of campy music uh, in this, you know, in the submarine towards the end, like does work really well for me again it, it i think it's good that it's not like constant it only comes up in like moments and yeah like it you know it, it it adds that like campy twist to it but it did work for me pretty well yeah yeah the only other thing i want to say about sort of the formula elements here is that i like the st structure the way that like normally in these movies like in the middle there's a little bit of a section where we slow down and like there's some plot stuff that has to happen that and that usually is where sort of the lulls or you know boring moments maybe happen but here i feel like halfway through is where we get that like in the scene in the underground you know layer again with mi6 and kgb or whatever where we find out that they're gonna have they're gonna have to team up and we get q coming back in right and, and introducing some new gadgets and stuff um <laughs> have i ever let you down q frequently that's a that also was a the well. absolute atrocities taking place underneath these pyramids how is how is that allowed <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah the, the oh gosh what, what are all the things we see them doing uh because there was one that stuck out to me as being really funny but um it's just yeah, like, can you imagine like the fact that they're just taking this like really ancient artifacts, yeah. like monuments and just doing all these weapons mm. tests under them? Like, oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> British colonialism, um, you know. But I, I like that. I feel like it, it keeps like keeps you engaged. Right. It doesn't slow the movie down too much when you get like these, you know, fun elements that you're used to seeing in cues, cues of fun character to introduce into there. So I like that they sort of put that at the halfway point in the in the movie. But um Okay, action sequences. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of them here. I think there are some good ones here. The skiing sequence opens the film. Of course, there's the battle on the tanker towards the end of the movie. Um, the car chase, everything that we've mentioned. Um, there's a few, you know, different car chase kind of moments. There's there's one which I think is really fun, right, where they're on the side of the mountain and it's like first the motorcycle chases them, then we have a car or truck i can't remember and then the helicopter comes in it's like you know what it feels like a video game almost uh and and that's that's pretty fun because uh, i actually am quite I'm, I'm a big fan of some of the james bond video games but um and then my favorite i'll go ahead and say my personal favorite is the scene at the pyramids um, early on uh i think that's a really well staged action sequence with the way that they use like the perspective and lighting um to like bring jaws like into the spotlight at various it feels like almost hitchcockian at times um which i think i think that's that's really cool it shows more filmmaking craft maybe than um you, you might be used to seeing in some of these James Bond movies. So I, I think that one is, is really good. And, and the other one, which sort of I have remembered, always remembered from my past viewings of The Spy Who Loved Me. But what about you guys? What, uh, what stood out to you, Jay? How have we not mentioned the car that turns into a boat? Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that was... And then they just nuke, they shoot the missiles straight up in the yeah. helicopter. That's, yeah. No, that, that was absolutely insane. Um, but I, again, I was, I was totally here for it. I think I've, you know, very much adjusted my mindset in watching these movies to like expect and like appreciate things like this and yeah once once you know the wheels start coming in and you realize it's becoming a bow like i you know that was i was laughing so hard yeah especially um, because right they don't they don't even clue you in that that's the case because that's the whole thing with q like he's walking up and he's trying to explain to bond what to do with his car is and bond's like oh forget it and he just drives off and so they don't even like 
it's you don't even get like the Chekhov's gun moment, right? Of like, oh, well, he's mentioned this thing and now it's going to come up again. So that's a nice sort of surprise, I guess, that Bond just figures it out, right? That this, I guess, you know, is, is an underwater uh, car as well. But Agreed. No, I, I did like that. We didn't get that Chekhov's gun. That was another thing I like very much noticed was like, oh, like I wasn't prepped for like this, you know, because if you, you know, if we had a scene at the beginning of the movie before he goes, you know, on his mission where it's like this car can go underwater like right you know, i'm sitting there waiting for that to happen but i like i had no sure. idea and that was that was really fun um just they buried the lead on us for the first time yeah it was good and then you know you already mentioned the the final uh scenes on on the submarine or in the tanker and then the opening you know ski chase scene again you know also like yeah. solid hits but i, I did want to give a shout out to the car becoming the boat um just because yep. you know we get a full-on full war in that tanker at the end like it's a freaking like battle sequence out of like a war movie um, a little bit kind of, right kind of crazy yeah which but I, I mean i think it's it's fun like there's so many explosions that happen and like just there's so many yeah. just like random explosives or everyone that are was throwing grenades like literally everyone they had yeah, so many grenades like, the, and the explosions are so much bigger than they should like my my favorite is the in that in that car chase sequence when the motorcycle sidecar crashes into the back of the truck and it's just like this massive explosion. Well, I, I think that is a bomb to be fair but yeah it's a, it's like a rocket powered yeah. um, sidecar or whatever but still it's like eh, that's how I felt whenever extra. whenever they had a grenade go off in the La Paris. I don't remember what the name of the boat is. Um, but like whenever they cut away to like the top of the boat and just massive explosions, like the grenade is not causing that level of explosion on the boat. Um, I, yeah. I found the tanker scene, although interesting action wise, I found uh, that was again, I, that's where I felt like it slowed down and got a little bit. That was one of the moments where I felt like it got a little bit boring in terms of plot development. I think that it just la like that whole sequence just lasted a little bit too long for me. Um, and I was much more intrigued by sort of that, that final showdown between Jaws and Bond. I mean, we, we kind of dis dispensed with Stromberg pretty quickly, which I was a big fan of, and just kind of brought it down to um, Bond and, and Jaws. Because that, I mean, they kind of knew, I think they knew what they had there. And that was more interesting to see, you know, rather than doing something, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat or whatever, like out Bond outwitting Jaws um, was much more interesting to watch. Not unlike how it was interesting for, for Bond to, to, watch, to watch Bond overcome Oddjob you know, in, in the bank heist as well. So I, I think that those, those final, final set pieces sort of redeem what I thought was maybe a little bit boring before that. But overall, the action's really good in this movie, I think. Yeah, all right. Final quick topic to hit, uh, the plot. You know, uh, we kind of have our weekly segment of does the plot make any sense? I've sort of already alluded to the fact that I think, yeah, I mean, maybe making sense isn't quite the, the right word because sure. I think there are still some some holes. But can you follow it? Yes, more or less, uh, at least more so than, than um, you know, the, the past films. Again, I think it's that uh, a lot of it is just trying to get this object, right? And then, you know, there's not, there's not too much complicated about, like, I want to just nuke places and create, you know, nuclear war. Like, you know, we've seen that in a thousand action movies before. So, I mean, maybe that's a knock on it. I mean, probably is. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I, again, like I said, it was a little bit refreshing to, like, more or less know what was going on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm a, anything to add. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit cooler on it than, than you, I think, in terms of that, because I was scratching my head pretty hard about the motivations of it all. Because I agree that the actual actions themselves that, that were taking place are easier to follow. But maybe because it's easier to follow, then I start thinking about, all right, why are, why are these people doing that, right? Like maybe it's a 
it's a you you solve one problem and you create another one for yourself maybe with the motivations element of it because that's probably true if we retrospectively go back and look at some of the other bond movies it's also probably the same there um but yeah overall uh, i think it was fine it was good but not not uh great i guess i'll, I'll use that okay jay anything you want to add let's wrap it up i think scott said it you both said it fine all right uh favorite senior moment from the spy who loved me jay I think it's got to be the opening uh, ski chase scene, you know, even with like the super obvious green screen, like again, like just like switching mindset, right? Like I I just laughed. I appreciate it. I wasn't like, wow, this looks so fake. I was like, this is awesome. It's the green screen combined with, they have to have that in there to show you like, oh, look, it's really Roger Moore. Right. Amazing. Yep. Uh, That'll be my favorite scene. Yeah, it's fun. Scott. Yeah, for me, like maybe it's just because I like sort of like the whole concept of like a marine or underwater vibe to the film. I loved it, like this whole like marine biology lab that's sitting at the bottom of the ocean. I think is like really cool, frankly. Um, so it's fitting then that an underwater element to the movie is one of my favorite moments. And that is, you know, it, they snuck. I thought I was going to be the first one to mention the scene at the end here, but you guys did mention it earlier. It's when you know you first learn that the car can go underwater, and they shoot the the missile up and and knock the helicopter out of the sky. Great moment. Laugh my ass off. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I like some of the some of the weird action moments to me, or like the physical fights that are going on, and they're like, there's like no music at times, and there's almost no sound effects too. It's like just the sound of their physical struggle, which no, like you sound, don't. The sound effects are terrible in this film. Well, though. yeah, That's well, the they're super cheesy. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I the tanker scene, like some of the you know again with everything Pew! blowing up, it's like. Ah! you know the wilhelm scream practically or whatever with yeah you know just guys diving to the side and, and then killed. it's so funny though because then the music like the score kicks back in when the scene's yeah. over and it's, and it's just like it's yeah. a disco needle drop where like, this feels so random um <laughs> it adds yeah these kind of weird things add to the charm of the movie to me but it's yeah, no i i've said i've said my my uh, favorite scene i think the pyramid scene is is really well staged it's a cool setting for an action sequence um it's not just you know straight up firefight or you know chase or something that we're used to seeing there's a bit more you know suspense and stealth to it um which you know feels like a spy movie um so i like that a lot he was Um, dead when i found him yeah (laughs) let's put a uh score on the spy who loved me jay step in the right direction uh pretty fun you know don't think i'll be watching it soon but that's okay uh 6.8 7.1 8.2 for me. I really enjoy this movie. Um, Like I said, it it probably is my favorite that um, we've reviewed so far. Um, I was glad to see that it holds up as well as I remembered. And if I had the VHS tape still and a VHS player, I would probably, I would not, I would certainly not mind rewatching it every now and then, Um, which is good because even Goldfinger, like I like the movie a lot. Am I going to rewatch it again in the next few years? Probably not. Um, But this one is fun. Um, okay, that concludes uh, this episode of the 007 Countdown and our discussion of Roger Moore as James Bond. We have made it through two Bond eras now. Um, we hope you've been enjoying the countdown. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, though, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for the next episode of the 007 Countdown, on which we'll be moving forward into Bond era number three with Timothy Dalton as James Bond in 1989's License to Kill. But until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.